Well, would you open your Bibles this morning uh, to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 5, verses 35 to 40. We will be talking about distancing from unbelief. Distancing from unbelief. And uh, what I want to do is just kind of bring balance and kind of swing the pendulum a little bit and to these uh, biblical tensions because for the last uh, two weeks or three weeks we've been talking about Luke 15 and how God absolutely loves sinners that he has compassion to rebellious sinners like you and me and Jesus because he has the father's heart he's the prodigal God um, God, he, Jesus, he dines and eats with tax collectors and sinners and talks story with them and commune with them. And uh, that's kind of like one side of the pendulum. But there's another side of the pendulum, which is um, that we are to uh, distance ourselves from scoffers or mockers and or unbelievers or disbelievers, rather. Um, now, this is not um, a contradiction. As I said earlier, this is a tension, okay? And it's biblical and it's okay. You know, our, our God is way bigger than our theology or understanding, right? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are way higher than our thoughts. Uh, so this tension that presents itself in the Bible, whether it's the sovereignty of God uh, and the tension of man's responsibility, or you talk about the law uh, versus uh, the grace. And so Luke 15, we're talking about God loves sinners and eats with them and dines with them. But the biblical tension on the other side of that is that there is uh, a sense of leaving and cleaving. There's a sense of um, separating and distancing yourself from disbelief and from those who, who scoff uh, and mock and, and make fun of and um, are uh, skeptical against Christ and against faith, the faith. And so we're going to look at a familiar text uh, in Mark uh, chapter 5. Let's go ahead and turn there. Verse 35, he says, While he was still speaking, meaning Jesus, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that your word is a lamp unto our feet. 
it is a light unto our path. Where the world seems dark and muddy and vague and confused and confusing, Lord, your word, it, it illuminates our path. Not only is a light unto our feet, O Lord Jesus, but your word is sharper than any two-edged sword that it cuts through bones and marrows, that it cuts through hardness of heart, it cuts through unbelief, it cuts through apathy. So Lord, I pray right now that our hearts will be fertile ground to receive your word. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you uh, would uh, give us the desire, Lord, to welcome your word as truth, that you'll give us strength to live them out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You know, one of the words that we've all become very familiar with uh, these since 2020, especially during uh, coronavirus, is this word social distancing, along with pandemic and masking. You know, uh, social distancing, uh, it refers to this idea that you have to physically distance at least six feet when you gather with people so that you won't infect them or they won't infect you with coronavirus and potentially spread the virus to others. And Jesus, in Mark chapter 5 here, he does something similar. He distanced himself from, not unbelievers, but he distanced himself from disbelievers. People who were unwilling to believe. People who mocked and laughed and scoffed and scorned that Jesus said that this girl was just sleeping and that she wasn't dead. And the reason why Jesus distanced himself from cynicism, from disbelievers, is so that their unbelief and their cynicism does not hinder his mission to resurrect uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. So Jesus, he, he removed toxic People who laughed and mocked and ridiculed him so that their toxic mockery, you see what I did there? Not toxic masculinity, but their toxic mockery doesn't infect people around him. Because Jesus was about to perform a miracle. He's supposed to, he, he's about to raise a girl from death to life. And so Jesus says, everyone else out, all of you who are mocking, all of you who are laughing, I'm going to distance myself. I'm going to go outside. I only want Peter, James, and John. I only want the father and the mother myself. We're going to go to her. And I want this, this solidarity. You know, Jesus says, a house divided unto itself, it cannot stand. So he wanted a, a unity and solidarity of people to gather and to believe along with him for a miracle. And in, in fact, unbelief is so important because, listen up, this is the unbelief is the only thing that will keep you away from heaven. What would you say? Let me say it again. Unbelief, this unwillingness to believe in Jesus and the life, death, and resurrection and the power of God in Christ Jesus is the only thing that will keep you away from heaven. 
It's not your sins. It's not your past. It's not how you screwed up your life. It's not how badly you messed up your life. It's not all the people that you've hurt. Jesus took care of all of that on the cross. The perfect Lamb of God, He, he who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. All we have to do is believe. And because belief is so important, it's so crucial, Jesus was like, He was about to perform a miracle. It's like, you know what? I have to distance myself from these disbelievers, from these mockers, from these scoffers. And um, I have three observations from uh, our text this morning. Um, and this text has to do with this discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, you and I have a calling. Would you write this down? Following Jesus results in being amazed and afraid. Following Jesus, if you're a disciple, if you're a student, if you're an apprentice, of Christ, if you're apprentice of the way of Jesus, it will usually result in being two things, amazed and afraid. Let's look at our text. In verse 37, he allowed no one to what? Follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So uh, Jesus calls them to follow him. And what happened as they followed Jesus? In verse 42, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. If you read the Gospels, you'll soon discover the MO of following Jesus, that it usually results following, walking in the Spirit, following Jesus, loving as Jesus loved, living as Jesus lived. It, you will usually result in being amazed and being afraid. You see, Following Jesus, it's not dry religion. It's not following this static rules and Ten Commandments of do's and don'ts. It is a dynamic relationship and it's an, ama it's an amazing journey. Look what it says in Mark chapter 10 verse 32. I call this the Mark 10 32 test of what it means to follow Jesus. They, meaning the disciples, were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. So this, when Jesus leading the way, the disciples followed and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Now the context of this is that Jesus is predicting his death for the third time. He's like, hey... If you follow me, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to lay down my life and suffer an excruciating death on the cross. And they're like, what? What's going on? Does that mean? Is that what it means to follow you? That we'll have to die to ourselves too? And, and when they followed Jesus, they were amazed. The word amazed, it means to be struck with astonishment at Jesus' courage in, adv in advancing to certain death. Uh, the Greek word there is uh, thambeo. It means to experience astonishment as a result of some unusual event. To be startled, to be amazed, or to be astonished. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, the people were all amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? 
and with authority, he, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. So as the people, they looked, they witnessed, they observed, especially as they followed Jesus, they were like astounded and they were amazed. When you're tracking with Jesus, when you're walking in the spirit, if you follow Jesus, you and Jesus will be like two peas in a pod. The journey to following Christ sometimes leads to astonishment. Lord, what? You want me to do what now? I'm sorry. Um, like, you got to be kidding, right? Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, you want me to apologize. I'm the one that's been hurt. I'm the one that has been offended. I'm the one that has been slandered and gossiped about. But Jesus, wait, you want me to apologize? You want me to seek to for, not only to forgive, but you want me to, to reconcile? Wait, hold up. You want me to join ministry? Lord, you know how much of an introvert I am and you want me to join a small group? I should volunteer for Children's Ark and help kids. Um, I can't believe you're asking, you, you're asking me to start a prayer group at work. You can't be serious. You want me to ask my, you want me to share the gospel and you want me to uh, invite my neighbor or my supervisor, my boss to Easter service? When you follow Jesus and when you track with the Lord, you'll be amazed at what he's going to call you to do. And honestly, you'll be afraid. And that's where faith comes in. Afraid means to be in a state of fear or to be afraid. It's where we get the, the phobia. It's where we get the, the word uh, phobia. And sometimes following Christ results in straight fear that you are literally afraid of what God is leading you to do, where you're literally afraid of what God is asking and requiring and sometimes even strongly commanding you to do. You know, it could be in the form of reconciling a severed relationship where you humble yourself and you ask forgiveness, even though you were the one that was injured. It could mean that you are to be bolder in your faith and taking a stand when somebody else is mistreated, that you, you uh, seek justice, as Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, seek justice, that you love mercy and you walk humbly before your God. Following Jesus means that you're to, sometimes it may mean that you're to speak the truth in grace and in love. When I was in LA as a pastor, um, it was about a Friday night, and uh, it was about 4.30, 4.45. Um, we, the church where I used to serve at was in a downtown L.A., in historic Filipino town. And I get a knock on the door, and the knock, uh, there was a guy um, just kind of, kind of worn out, looked tired. I mean, to be honest, he looked a little bit homeless and just looked uh, um, just weary. And he had a back, but he had a big old backpack and a beard was all scruffy. He looked dirty. He looked, uh, you know, kind of unkept. And he said, hey, man, uh, do you know, just I don't want to 
age myself here, but he said, hey, do you know where, um, where uh, this travel agency is at? So this is, you know, before really the, not the advent of smartphones with orbits and um, Priceline and all that stuff. But he's like, hey, oh, do you know where this uh, travel agency is at? I was like, okay, uh, yeah, that's on, um, that's on Beverly and Normandy. That's like about eight miles down that way. He goes, oh man. Okay, uh, okay, thanks, Mike. I really need to be there or I'm going to miss my flight. I'm like, okay. And I just felt a nudge uh, from the Holy Spirit, from, from the Lord, just like, hey, um, if this guy's going to be late, he's going to miss his flight and he's, he doesn't know what's going on, uh, why don't you just give him a ride? It was a complete stranger. It was in downtown LA. It was a Friday night. So... I was like, hey, 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 you know what, guy, uh, brother, let me, um, you, you, you won't make it on time. The travel agency is going to close. Let me just drive you there. So I ended up driving the guy. And as we were uh, driving to the travel agency, I come to find out that he's a Christian. Not only is he a Christian, but he's a missionary. And he just spent, um, he was, he just spent three weeks in Mexico uh, building homes for the homeless and the poor and uh, he just got back uh, he just made a pit stop in uh, LA and then he was going to go to YWAM in Kona in Big Island and um, anyways so we get there and he's like oh he was able to make it on time you know thanks a lot it's like yo I'll wait here just make sure you, you know you get your flight and um, he said he comes back about five minutes later and he said hey man I missed my flight uh, or my flight is going to be tomorrow, so I guess I'll just sleep, like, uh, I'll find somewhere to sleep and stuff, maybe under that bus stop, and I was like, no, no, brother, you know what, you stay with me, and during that time, I had uh, two other roommates, and uh, he ended up sleeping on the couch, and um, gave him um, a carne asada burrito from Leo's Tacos, uh, fed him dinner, um, was, he was able to wash his clothes, he was able to have a, uh, take a shower and have a good night's rest. I even gave him a CD um, and then uh, dropped him off to uh, the LAX the following day. Anyways, all that to say is um, about a couple days later, maybe about a week later, he sends me a text, he sends me a handwritten letter, he goes, Hey, John, just wanted to let you know, like, you know, as a missionary, uh, I just felt like, you know, God, here I am taking care of people and the orphans and the poor, but nobody's watching and showing hospitality to me. And I felt like I was going to quit being a missionary. And, uh, but anyways, I'm here in Kona now in Hawaii. And this was about 17 years ago. And he said... Um, here is um, John 3.16 in the local language here in Pidgin, in Hawaiian Pidgin. And, and I read it and it seemed like gibberish to me. But I just felt like, you know, I wouldn't say it was a test, but um, I was afraid of like showing hospitality to this guy. But afterwards, after like I'm amazed because little did I know about 
seven years later, after I met up with him, I would end up moving to Hawaii with my wife and my two kids and planting and pastoring a church. I think um, God counted me trustworthy to, to follow him and to love him, to be able to minister here in our beautiful island. Um, so number two, uh, here's a second observation that following Jesus includes separating yourself from scoffers. If you want to follow Jesus, not only will, will it result in being afraid and amazed, but following Jesus includes separating yourself from scoffers. Look at verse 39. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. There will come a time as a Christ follower where you need to make demarcation and a cut and a separation. In fact, that's the word of the, the root word of holiness, kadosh or kadesh in Hebrew. It means to be separate. It means to be holy. It means to be other than. And to follow Jesus and to, because God has placed a calling in your life and you are on mission to love Jesus and to make a difference in this world and to make disciples. In order to follow him, you're going to have to separate yourself from scoffers. You're going to have to separate yourself from mockers of, oh, you're, you're one of those born-again Christian or oh, you're one of those Jesus Bible-carrying guys. I'm like, oh gosh, okay, here you go. And this is not something new. In fact, this is in the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, we all know this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In Psalm 1, there's this blessed man. And there's, in verses 1, there's three things that the blessed man does not do. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. And he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. And in verse 2, this is what the blessed man does. He doesn't do these things, but this is what he does do. He delights himself in the law of the Lord. And what I want to get to with that is that following Jesus means that sometimes the line has to be drawn and you have to um, distance yourself from the haters, so to speak, from toxic people who are ridiculing and mocking Jesus. There's going to have to be some friendships that you might have to sever in order to follow Christ. There might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you might have to break up with because you're unevenly yoked with an unbelief, even though they go to church and they say that they're Christian or you know they're basically good people, but you are a Christ follower. You are a disciple of Christ Jesus. You follow him. You, you walk with him hand in hand and 
As you walk in the spirit, you'll be amazed and you'll be afraid what he's going to call you to do. And oftentimes that means that you're going to have to uh, be separated. You know, you have a calling in your life. God has placed a holy calling on your life. He's going to ask you, it's like, maybe you put in your heart, it's like, you know what, Lord, I'm going to stop drinking. And your friends were like, what? No way. Are you kidding me? Watch. You'll start drinking in next day. Watch. Next week. Next month. You're going to go back. Maybe you feel called to ministry. Maybe God has placed in your heart to, to serve and to go uh, full vocational ministry and join Bible college and get a Christian education and background. You're just And people are like, what? Yeah, right. It'd, be, it'd just be like the, the fad that you've gone through when you like this girl and you thought you were going to be this or you thought you were going to be that. There can be times where you're going to have to um, cut off this influence or this infection of unbelief. You know, I'll never forget one of our um, uh, church members or when I was youth pastoring... Uh, it was came a time where uh, her mom opened her mail and she saw that her giving statement to the church and um, her mom said, hey, I, why are you giving to that Christian stuff? Why are you giving to that Jesus stuff? We, you're born Buddhist, you're raised Buddhist, you're going to die a Buddhist, you know, enough of this Jesus stuff. If you don't want to... If you want to keep giving, it's okay. You go to that church, but you don't give to that church. You don't. And she replied, Mom, I love you. But if you're making me choose you or Jesus, I'm going to choose Jesus every time. There will be times when your loyalty and your oath will be tested. And you're going to have to make the decision to cut those things off to separate, physically distance, spiritually distance yourself in order that you could pursue and follow Jesus. And why is unbelief expressed in scoffing and mocking so important? It's important because in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, it says, And Jesus did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. You notice it does not say that Jesus could not, like he wasn't able to do ministries, but it says Jesus could do, could, did not do many mighty works. He did, not, he did not do miracles. He chose not to do miracles. Why? Because of their unbelief. This is, by the way, the premise of uh, John Bevere's book, you know, the, ba the Bait of Satan, that offense, that God will not do miracles if there's offense or in Matthew here, of unbelief. And lastly, we'll close. Not only following Jesus results in being amazed and afraid, and following Jesus means that you're separating yourself from disbelievers or scoffers, but lastly, following Jesus means that you surround yourself with Christian life givers. You surround yourself with Christian life givers. Let's look at our text in verse 40. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside. 
So he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to the little girl, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. There is this biblical mot motif in the Bible, biblical theme of leaving and cleaving. The mystery of marriage in Genesis chapter 3, that you are to... For the two flesh to become one flesh, you must leave your father and your mother and you must what? Cleave to your wife. In the same way, following Jesus, you must leave your life, your old life behind, your old lifestyle, your old ambition, your old desires, your sinful ways your sinful thought patterns, your sinful uh, friendships and associations, you leave those in order to cleave on to the body of Christ and to cleave and to, to cling on and to connect to the bride of Christ and to other fellow believers. You know, next week, I, I literally have every single day, Monday uh, through Friday or Saturday even, um, I have a meeting, uh, a coffee or breakfast or lunch with genuine brothers and sisters. I mean, we're talking about brothers in Christ um, who encourage, who strengthen, who refresh and who support me. Uh, don't get me wrong. This is not like one of those bro fests where it's like, oh, John, you, you know, where we're benighted to reality. And it's like, oh, John. You're so light-skinned. Oh, man, your hairline is so robust. Oh, my goodness. You, you haven't gained weight at all, and we're kind of suppressing reality. Oh, John, you're like the best pastor on island. It's none of that. It is a genuine encouragement. It's a genuine belief. John, we love you. We support you. Uh, as iron sharpens iron, uh, one man sharpens other. We're here to sharpen and support you in any way that I can. Let me pray for you. Let me hook you up with this resource. And, and these are the, the friendships and the relationships and the fellowship that I need that we cleave. We'll leave our former life and we cleave onto uh, the, the brotherhood or the sisterhood of the believers. And as we close, you know, one of the most important men and important figure in uh, Western civilization or in, in history, in fact, is a man by the name of William Wilberforce, who worked laboriously, tirelessly for decades to abolish slavery in England, which later influenced America to examine the evil of slavery and to abolish slavery, but it started with England and with the work of William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was, a, was a, also a pastor, but uh, word got around that William Wilberforce was uh, discouraged in his work to abolish slavery in Great Britain. So there was uh, a contemporary of his called John Wesley where the Wesleyan or the Methodist movement came about. John Wesley was kind of like the Billy Graham of his day. And John Wesley, with a trembling hand, 
six days before his death, he decides to write William Wilberforce a letter. And this is the content of his letter. It says, unless the divine power has raised you, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that execrable villainy, which is the scandal of religion of England and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and of evils. But if God before you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of His might till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish before it, that He who has guided you from your youth may continue to strengthen you in this and all that in all things is the prayer of dear sir, your affectionate servant, John Wesley. John Wesley died six days later, but William Wilberforce, he took those words of challenge and encouragement and fought slavery for 45 years. And in 1833, three days before his own death, slavery was abolished in Great Britain. Oh, the power of encouragement, the power of brothers and sisters, the power of um, the body of Christ supporting, uplifting, refreshing, encouraging one another. And in order for us to follow Jesus, we, we're going to be amazed. We're going to be afraid. In order for us to follow Jesus, it may mean that we have to leave some relationships, some unhealthy ones, but it also means that we cleave on to other believers who stand beside us in our faith. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord God, for uh, just speaking to us and allowing us to hear your word. And I just pray right now, Lord, in these three areas of what it means to follow Jesus, uh, Lord, I, I believe some of us here this morning where uh, being amazed and afraid does not describe our relationship with you. I think uh, if we're to be honest, it's been boring. It's been um, kind of monotonous. Uh, read your Bible, try to do your best, but there's not this real genuine amazement and fear of following you. So right now, I just pray right now, Lord Jesus, that this lukewarmness, Lord, would, um, would be melted by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would change our desires. Lord, I pray for some of us, Lord, we have an old lifestyle, oh Lord Jesus, that we need to separate from, that we need to distance ourselves from disbelievers, that we need to cut ourselves off from cynics, and that we need to separate ourselves, Lord God, from scoffers and from skeptics. Lord, I just pray, Lord, uh, that we would instead surround ourselves, cling on and cleave to other believers. Life is not meant to be lived alone, that we would do life with other believers, that we would go arm in arm, heart to heart, 
Lord, moving forward on the mission to follow you, Jesus, and to love you and to make disciples. And so, Lord, I pray for a supernatural strengthening of your Holy Spirit right now, that you would meet each person right where they're at, and that you would minister them and transform them from the inside out. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord be with you and give you peace. We love you guys. Have an amazing week.